Hey, it's Lex. I just wanted to give a quick intro to this mini-sode of The Well of Sound. Basically, this is the DVD extras to the two-hour saga that is episode 20, Van Halen. Believe it or not, we tried to pack so much good stuff into that episode, but there was some stuff that didn't make it. And this is what didn't make it, but was still so good that we had to create this episode just to profile it. It's really quick. It's, uh... It's not more than 15 minutes. It's an interview with Stephen Heath, one of my favorite people. He's also the guitarist for LA Takedown. And last year he was touring guitarist with Wise Blood. Um, I saw that tour. It was fantastic. He's played with Death Valley Girls, D.A. Stern, and get this, J.T. Leroy. He's also the biggest Van Halen fan that I know. He loves every aspect of Van Halen. The ridiculous, the hilarious, the uh, face melt He's in for all of it. The reason why I wanted to talk to Steven is because I wanted to talk to a guitarist about the impact Eddie has had on the game, right? He's a legend, but I wanted to know why. What is it that Eddie as a guitarist has done differently than other monsters of rock? Steven set that straight for me. He, uh, you know... He filled in the holes um, that we couldn't because we're not musicians. Steven is. I talked to him about it. Here's the interview. If you want to go back to the beginning, I guess... (laughs) (laughs) I mean, really, we are going to go back to the beginning. All the way back. We're going to go all the way back to Holland. There's so much stuff out there, by the way. Like there's so much stuff out there, but a lot of it is the same story over that's and over true. and over. That and is over. true. That is true. I just read a thing about how like they, you know, Roth talks a lot about how they were fighting and arguing from the very, very beginning. People like, oh, you st- when did you stop getting along? It's like we never got along. They never liked me ever. <laughs> um, right. And somebody who was commenting, they were like that. They were perfectly satisfied. Like their father is a gigging musician. Right struggling so they were totally satisfied to Just play pasadena parties yep. and make a few grand and they dressed grunge they said they wore flannels and overalls and painting pants right and they really didn't want to branch out right and roth forced it which is uh, interesting yeah i mean he's a forceful person he makes you decide one way or the other whether you're gonna like love him or hate him because he yeah. just won't stop are we well so that's what i was going to ask you i was going to record this because we're non-musicians talking about this i i wanted to get some musicians take on like what eddie's guitar playing like means as a non-musician yeah do it <laughs> just say whatever you want starting now yeah go uh so I, I mean, I have a more extreme take because for me, Eddie Van Halen is like that. He's my Hendrix, Jimmy Page, and all that stuff. Right. But there's very few guitar players who moved the needle on the instrument in like a groundbreaking way. Who did? Who changed guitar playing in a way that no one had considered or fathomed could be done. Right. So, you got Les Paul, who created the electric guitar right. and created the shape of the guitar because he built a neck through body out of a 4x4, apparently. It was so ugly, people 
didn't want it around kind of so uh-huh. he only made it look like a violin like a, an instrument that requires resonance for optics right um, just aesthetic he, aesthetic and he created the technology of pickups and everything and a delay and a multi-tracking so he did that he, he moved it forward you know Jimi Hendrix did something like that and I'm going to argue the only other person to do that is Eddie Van Halen right because he, st- he stripped it down conceptually and built his own thing. He, he also had the technical components. He, he modernized electronic pickups in a way that no one had ever done. He unwound or rewound them. Right. And this is someone who did not study electronics and dipped them in paraffin to keep them from feeding back. He created a way to make the amp sound different by pulling the, the fader out of his parents' kitchen uh, fan and lighting system Jesus. so you could crank the wattage on the amp and get the sound of it being full blast without it being full blast so he was doing things that he just needed to have happen because they didn't exist and he could see that they could exist which right. is so hard to do right. but then technique wise uh, and playing wise we think of him as this technically brilliant player which of course he is but in comparison to you know, other shredders like now, he's really sloppy, really messy. If you go listen, there's bad notes, quote unquote, right. left, right, and center. Um, but then he pushed the technical boundaries farther in a way that no one had thought could be done. So the combination of the tone change right. and his playing. Is that the brown was, sound? That's the brown sound, which, you know, a lot of people say it's a Fender Princeton. There's apparently photos you can see with a Fender Princeton, which is a small combo on the side of the stage. I think everyone agrees he used Marshalls. There's tons of shots of him with Marshalls. Right. Yeah, there are. Yeah, that is the brown sound. And the other person who owes a credit to that who doesn't really get it is Ted Templeman, the producer, because you can hear Eddie playing on other demos, and while recognizable, it is not the same tone. So Templeman so isolated whatever that was and like took it a step further based on what he had already done because he was with like the Doobies and Van Morrison and st- and stuff before. Right. So he could do something with those bands and did great things, but nothing as like earth-shattering as capturing Eddie's tone correctly and improving it. And he did a thing where he, he puts the delay in the room. If you listen in stereo, he pans guitar hard right, and the delay or the reverb, or both maybe, is hard left. So you get real-time chorusing in the room. You're in. <laughs> it's not on the track. It's happening in the room you're in, which is... I'm assuming people have done stuff like that before. Yeah. But like the second, I don't, I was in fourth grade when I heard, uh, I think, uh, Unchained, a Running with the Devil. But right. like tingles all over my body. That sound was like staggering. And then from there, it's it's full force. But it does feel like Fair Warning is, is the high point of that sound, right? Yeah. It's less sparkly. <laughs> totally. Um, it's a little it's less sludgy. sparkly, like because it's so sparse on Van Halen One. The production is so sparse. Right. I don't think there's any doubling guitars except a couple of solos where they add a rhythm part underneath. Because you play the song, go straight into the solo, straight out of the solo, and if they wanted something underneath, he'd overdub, he'd underdub the rhythm part. Oh. Because he'd never played it, and the and Templeman was like, "Well, no, do the part first, and then do the solo." He goes, "There isn't a part under the solo. I've never." <laughs> Right. <laughs> I didn't write this as a song in my room and present it to the band. Like, um, so in fair warning, it just there's more stuff happening. Okay. And it feels like it's evolved a little darker. He was also doing those sessions. Apparently, he'd leave with the band and come back at night and work all night to change everything. Right. 
behind their back. Um, oh, Templeman? No, Eddie. Oh, Eddie, yeah. To get the creative control to wrestle it away from Dave and Templeman. Right. Because he, with with uh, Landy, is they've got kind of an antagonism going on between... Wait, did Don Landy produce that, or was he the engineer? He's the engineer. Okay, okay, yeah. Because we always connect him with that one original guitar, but he used quite a few different guitars. He had an Ibanez. Right. He had a Les Paul early on. Um, but he, he went to the Steinberger, <laughs> which is mind-blowing. What is that? Steinberger was in a guitar company. It was a headstockless guitar and bodyless guitar. More in line with the, the original Les Paul uh, creation, probably. It's a little rectangular, rectangular body. There's no headstock. The tuning pegs are on the butt, like the bridge of the guitar. Huh. And uh, it's so weird. I mean, they're sick guitars. Alan Oldsworth played them famously for years. And now they're worth a lot of money. Right. Um, are they not around they anymore? Use, they don't make them, now. There's a finite number floating around they're pretty sick um but his, his guitar tone, tone changed quite a bit then right uh right but people get mad when i say that they go what about jimmy page what yeah. about so-and-so like jimmy page or clapton are phenomenal but they're playing a known style of music right using a known vocabulary they're improving upon it leaps and bounds right but they're not doing something that you can't fathom could exist <laughs> right uh, and that takes a, takes a certain kind of brain to go to imagine something that hasn't been imagined before and execute it. Completely. And but it also speaks, it's interesting to me that, that Eddie and Landy, I wonder how much Don Landy had to do with pushing that all forward. Because classically, when Ed talks about learning to play guitar, he said Al would go out to a party and Ed would sit down with a sixer of Schlitz Tallboy malt liquors. Right. And then Al would come home at three in the morning. He'd still be sitting in the same spot on the bed playing guitar, and the cans would be empty. Like in in his fallow periods, when there's not a singer yeah. like driving things forward with a project, he just seemingly descends into uh, the mouth of madness. <laughs> like yeah. he just wants to play guitar and not talk to anybody. Right, and then once Coke enters the picture, like he's got whatever expansion he gets from booze, Coke like prolongs it, so it's just mad noodling. <laughs> <laughs> noodling, the likes of which the, the world shan't see anytime soon. Shan't see again. That level of coke fueled noodling. Um, but it is interesting. I've also thought about this. The classic, you know, we think about Hendrix. What what could have? What it could have should have been? You know, Ed was gripped by his own success very quickly. Right. You know, by fair warning, certainly he doesn't get enough credit for his songwriting abilities. Right. Um. I think. Uh, yeah. I don't think he gets enough credit for anything. But, no, he doesn't. You know, his to break so much ground, and then, I mean, that's enough for a lot of lifetimes to do what he did. Totally. But then to stop and never really make any progress after that in terms of playing. Right. Well, it seems like he transitioned to synthesizer and piano and then became, he kind of moved on. And done, he, he had done what he came here to do. Right, basically. It seems like. Has anybody... Uh, uh, you know, if Eddie if Eddie moved us forward, did anybody take take the torch and, and keep on running with it? Well, yes, I think there are a number of guys who did, um, but they all seemingly lacked the, the combination, the songwriting, the pop hooks. I mean, Eddie's solos are so. The thing that I've Melodic. never heard anyone. I think I said it best when I said this. <laughs> I don't think anyone's ever pointed this out, but he is a horn player. 
his father, you know, was a clarinet player. Right. And when you listen to his solos, you hear the breath. You hear the notes. The phrasing is all a horn player. But the whammy bar stuff is it sounds like a sax or a clarinet. It's incredible. And that jazz, the swing that Al gets from the big band. Yeah. He's got swing like a big band drummer. Eddie plays like a horn player. And that kind of bebop feel with all those. When I was younger and I was trying to learn the songs with tablature. Uh-huh. And they're saying the notes he's playing. There's too many notes. They're the wrong notes. There's bad notes. They're held for the wrong amount of time. It was the hardest stuff to learn because it didn't make actual sense. And so you get people like. Well, Marty Friedman and Jason Becker, who started this band, Cacophony, okay. and they're shredders of the highest order, right. with like fretboard knowledge and autonomy you can't even comprehend. <laughs> but of course, they can't really write some great, great, great songs. Right. And I love their music. It's great. But, you know, where are the songs? Right. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. Totally. I guess. Ingve, Ingve Malmsteen, like, you know, is awesome. And there's a certain radness to his songs. But, you know. Right. There's a, there's a ceiling. The legs. Yeah, if you will. I, I, there's got to be. There's modern shredders. There's this guy Tosin Abasi, who's like a very intellectual shredder, uh-huh. um, and he's pushing the boundaries of gear in terms of like seven strings, which I, I think you have to have a certain mind to want to even fiddle with a seven string, which I don't have. Right, right. But I don't know that anybody. Steve Vai was astonishing, and he wrote some great songs of Roth. Right. Um, but it's the same, what they're all doing is going, oh, I can do that faster yeah. and cleaner than he did it. Right, right. Okay. Right, fine. And I can introduce some more literal music theory so that, you know. But no, no past the frontier work quite yet. I think people might disagree with me, and, but I don't think so, no. Yeah, There's right. nobody who did, they're doing what Maybe Clapton Prince? did with the blues. Prince? No. <laughs> <laughs> No, Prince is an astonishing guitar player. Right. Uh, astonishing guitar player. Obviously, I mean, light years better than I could ever be, But as, and as a songwriter, obviously, right. but no. No, not it. Um, I, you know, something interesting that David Lee Ross said recently in an interview, he talked about how a lot of the early solos he sang to Eddie, Ain't Talking About Love, Yeah, yeah, yeah. Crying. Yeah. Which, actually, credit where credit is due, I think, Eddie probably learned a lot from Dave. Totally. The Running with the Devil solo, he said he sang to Eddie. Right. Which is, is such a good solo. Which is Roth's strong point, is bebopping his way through. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> diddly op. Like, nobody can diddly op like, like bop, Diamond Dave. Bop, bop. I think we're leaving something out, but I don't know. I mean, the other technical players that get left out in this conversation are country players, flat oh. pickers and stuff, who are just... Right. You know, Carl Perkins. Right. Um, the technical skill level there is... And really uniquely masked in country music, because it fits in so well, you don't really... It doesn't jump out. Right, right. So much, but uh, a lot of those guys are peerless. Ja, we hebben tien jaar gelezen in Amsterdam geboren en zijn met twee andere jongens. Ik heb een nieuwe plaat gehoord, Fair Warning. Ja, doe je wel mee? Ja. Fantastisch, prima muziek, hè? Van Halen, Van Halen, are you familiar with the band? I don't, look, I don't know what you guys are talking about, but... Ik denk dat hij deze grote helemaal niet doet. Van Halen, Van Halen. Begrijp je hem? Ik begrijp hem niet, hoor. Oh, je meent 
Van Halen. Van Halen. Wait a minute. Aren't you the bass player? You're, oh, you're wait, Michael Anthony. You look like Dave. Wait a you're, you're, you're the like, drummer. Aren't you're you? Like, you're Dave. Wow. We are. Van Halen. Hello. Thanks for listening. If you want to find out more about Stephen Heath, check him out on Instagram at Heathband. The link is in the show notes. Later.